And for me, that was just like, huh, like we've learned all this stuff at uni of where the future could be, but we're not there yet. And so, yeah, I worked in industry for six years and to even till now, I've never had the experience of being given a 3D model to then use for measuring. And I know there's a whole bunch of work that needs to be done, but that's just a simple example of, Mm. you know, about six years ago when I was at university, we were learning about that but we're not actually doing it in industry. So I think there can be a bit of a frustration there of um, we know what's possible, but I think um, we're perhaps holding on to the way that we've always done things instead of moving ourselves into the future. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, the podcast for surveyors who just love what they do. I'm Marion Ellis, and in today's episode, I chat to Alice Graham, a chartered quantity surveyor and solutions engineer at Procore Technologies, where Alice combines industry expertise with a passion for technology to help construction organisations adopt cutting-edge cost management solutions, contributing to the industry's digital transformation. Yes, we're talking about prop tech, with a bit of early careers and diversity thrown in. Hi, Alice. How are you? Oh, so welcome to the podcast, Alice. Lovely to speak to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Looking forward to our chat. Um, And I want to start off by saying what a beautiful accent you've got. I've always (laughs) been to say this to you for ages. Uh, Where where about what's your let's go back into, you know, uh, where you're from, your journey. How did you get into surveying and, and where does that accent come from? Yes. So a a lot of people say that whenever I get onto a call, but um, I was born in Malawi in um, Southeast Africa. And then my family moved to Scotland when I was 10 years old and that it's a Scottish accent, Edinburgh specifically. Some people might, you know, say it's it's not strong enough, but yeah, it's it's a Scottish accent. (laughs) Uh, And you do find as you move around uh, the country that sometimes your accent changed. So I came from, I'm from North Wales, which has its own unique accent, but give myself a glass of wine and you'll know exactly <laughs> which town and street I'm from. No, that's fair. <laughs> and, I, and with my my siblings, because we've all moved around, we've all got different shades of uh, Welsh accents, which is quite funny too. So, uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. so tell me a bit about how you got into surveying. Yeah, so when I was in school, I was set on doing medicine. So I ended up doing lots of science-y topics. Uh, So in Scotland, you have um, standard grades and hires, so slightly different to the English system. But I did my subjects, and that was what I was hoping to do. 2013, my results came out, and it wasn't quite what I was hoping for by way of getting uh, the grades I needed for medicine. So I needed to go back to the drawing board and figure out what I was going to do. Um, my mum has a built environment background, so she knew a few people that were quantity surveyors. So I started looking into that as an option because I thought that seems all right, because I was always quite into business and economics. So it just felt like it was quite similar to those interests. Um, so she put me in touch with some friends, uh, one of her friends that did quantity surveying. I spoke to him and I was like, yeah, this seems like what I want to do. Um, the way he sold it to me actually was, you know, if you become a chartered surveyor, you can work anywhere in the world. And I was at that time, I was always like, yep, I want to fly the nest and go far away somewhere. So, 
Um, so that sold it for me. And then I went to, I applied for a university. Um, well, I ended up at Harriet Watt University studying quantity surveying for four years. I had applied to other universities, um, but I wasn't, um, I did get offered a place at, um, I think it was Napier and John Muir University at the time. And I suppose this is also kind of part of my story in that I was having to pay, well, I was being asked to pay international fees at the time. So uh, going to John Muir University in Liverpool wasn't going to be a feasible option for me, but I got offered to pay home fees at Harriet Watts. So that made it a bit more affordable. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, do, how does that work, international fees? Why was that? Uh, so typically, so it depends on people's residency status. Um, so oh, at I the see. time, I wasn't... Um, I wasn't a British citizen at the time, so I was on a like sort of dependent visa. So it meant that my family were considered when it came to university applications were international. So yeah, it was a financial decision, not just, you know, I want to go this place or wherever. So I was actually reading an email or something from a, a long time ago, just reflecting and thinking, wow, what a journey it's been. But yeah, I I, I ended up at Harriet Watt University. Yeah. And, you know, that's a that's a big thing for lots of us, you know, in terms of going away to university and costs and, you know, the landscape's changed so, so much. You know, mm-hmm. I went to, um, it's now a university. It used to be an institute. Okay. <laughs> when, I, when I first, I remember, I remember people talking to me about the old polytechnics. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I used to go to an institute, which perhaps explains a lot. But I did it because it was it was local to me. It was nearby. Mm. It meant I could stay at home for a bit, you know, mm. and, and save on costs. And those practical things are real, you know, real considerations at the at the end of the day. Um, yeah. So how did you uh, what, how did you then sort of start work? Yeah, so I started, well, my first actual job was as a waitress at Nando's. I, I'm always really proud of that because um, I learned a lot. I, I mean, you could squeeze it into the client care part of being a surveyor. But yeah, I think uh, that was a lot of good lessons. But my first actual job um, being a surveyor was um, I did a few work experience stints um, in surveying companies in Edinburgh. And then I was offered a part-time job in my final year of university by a local company called Thompson Gray. And um, they basically put me up one day a week. So I was studying four days at the company one day as a trainee quantity surveyor. So that was really good experience because I got to learn from very well-seasoned surveyors. And um, then off the back of that, I was... um, I was able just to get the experience that I needed for applying for jobs because typically a lot of when you're applying for graduate schemes, they're looking for people that have a bit, you know, they've done some internships or something like that. So it was a really good um, starting point for me. And then eventually um, I uh, I ended up getting a graduate role uh, with Faithful and Gold um, in, uh, and I moved. So I used to live in Edinburgh and then moved down south to England to take on that role. So it's a lot of change once again, but um, yeah, it was it was good. So I enjoyed I enjoyed that. And yeah, I, I, do you want me to sort of go into the details of what I did? Well, well, um, well let me let, let me ask you a couple of um, couple of questions or, or one, a couple of observations. Mm-hmm. I think any kind of work experience, like waitressing at Nando's, I used to work behind a bar in uh, Weatherspoons in a Yates's Wine Lodge, amongst mm-hmm. other, other many things. And that really, to anyone sort of listening, 
you know, never underestimate the things that you learn in those jobs and the values that the value that that brings to the world mm-hmm. of surveying. Because when I started my graduate job, I was not worried about picking up the phone and talking to people because I'd worked yeah. at British Gas and BT and all sorts, you know. So there are lots of that. And even now, actually, when I think about the customer experience types of work that I've done mm-hmm. over the years with claims, you know, it it all comes back to having that confidence to be able to talk to people. So never underestimate that. I don't know about how you cook chicken or when you got that far. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think I, for for me, it was a lesson about culture as well, because it mm. was like really good about uh, supporting the people that are working for the company. So that's something I took away with me as to culture is a very important aspect of running a business and building a team and people getting on well together. So for me, that was just quite an amazing student job, to be honest. And yes, there was some free food too, but yeah. <laughs> I, I learned how to do... Um... When I worked in a Scruffy Murphy's, I learned how to do a shamrock in a, on the top of a pint of Guinness. That's my <laughs> my talent. And I'm sure if I could I, I could do it again now, although the purists would say that should never happen to a, <laughs> to a pint. <laughs> you talked about, you know, what sold it to you was the world travel. Um, mm-hmm. And you've gone from Edinburgh to England. Do you see yourself travelling around the world further or...? I mean, in my current role, I'm actually in a role that looks over the sort of EMEA region. Um, So I'm working with colleagues. uh, So EMEA being Europe, Middle East, Africa sort of region. So our business is a global business where I work. So without necessarily having to travel, I am actually working in a very international environment. So I think I'm fulfilling that aspect already. Yeah. So sounds, like fun. sounds like you're itching to uh, uh, to get out there, and I guess you know over the past few years as a as an early career surveyor, that's been quite challenging with the whole lockdown, COVID. Tell me a bit about how how that was for you. Were you how how did you find that work experience? Yeah, so when I was doing COVID, uh, during COVID, sorry, um, I was working on a particular sort of capital investment program. I was fortunate in that we were already a national team that was planning to work, you know, across different offices. So it just meant we were working a lot, you know, like everyone else on Zoom and Teams, etc. I think, um, yeah, it was everyone had a different experience of it. For me, it was um, trying to separate home life and work life to be sort of, you know, you have a room that you're spending a lot of time in because you can't go to the office. So for me, I think coming out of COVID, I was definitely very strong on trying to make that separation very clear because, you know, the commute isn't just, you know, a time to drive to work, it's time to get ready for work. And it's also time to get ready to decompress and just sort of whatever's happening, you leave it there. So yeah, I think for me, my my takeaway from it was just learning how to have those good boundaries between the two spaces. And now I work from home in my new role, but for the most part and go to the office um, every now and again, but I still have retained those kind of boundaries that I want to have for myself to maintain a good work-life balance. So, yeah, but I think because I was already working in a national team, I probably didn't feel it as much as people who uh, are used to working with people that sit next to them in an office. Mm. And I've had uh, in my other projects that I worked on after that particular stint in that one, I also had a similar role where I was working with colleagues from Edinburgh, London, etc. So I'm quite used to that way of working. Yeah. 
Let me ask you about your new role then. So, because you're doing a bit more on the technology side, aren't mm-hmm. you? Tell me more a bit more about that. Yeah. So um, recently, it's, oh, it's nearly three months ago now. So I joined um, a, a new organization. It's called Procore Technologies. So it's a slight pivot to what I was doing previously as a quantity surveyor. So um, Procore is a software platform that helps to bring different people together in the construction industry. And essentially, if, if you think about it in simple terms, as quantity surveyors, I'll speak from that perspective, we're using so many different applications, Excel, emails, to try and conduct our day-to-day processes. And Procore's aim is to have that single place where you can go where your applications for payments are there, the drawings are there, you can do the tendering processes there, etc. And our clients, our developers or clients at commission projects, contractors, subcontractors. So they're trying to use Procore to make the process a lot more efficient than what is currently the case where you have a spreadsheet for just about every single thing you do. So where my role comes in is I'm using my background as a quantity surveyor to um, help clients that want to manage their financial project finances better using technology. So coming back to that point of automation of applications for payment, for example, rather than a back and forth email exchange or um, things like estimating and automating your estimation process and building up your budget so that you have standardization across different projects that your team is running. So yeah, it's really exciting because for me, I've always I've always been interested in tech and there's a lot of space for the construction industry to really get better at using tech from my perspective and do you think that's a generational thing you being a a youngster (laughs) that you you get to grips with with tech a bit better or I mean what 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 made you want to to pivot in that way I think for me, it, everyone comes into the role with the expectations of what they're going to get to do. And the narrative that you hear from a lot of people is like, you know, I just want to get on with a day job. And if you think of being a quantity surveyor, there's a lot of exciting bits. But for me, it's always you want to be sitting with your client, giving them the advice that they need and doing that really sort of client facing aspect of it. But what does get in the way is um, there's a lot of administrative things that you have to do. And if you can automate some of those bits, it's like you're maximizing the amount of time that you're going to get to do the stuff that is actually quantity surveying. That's from an individual contributor's perspective, but also from running a business perspective. So if you're thinking maybe more like a director, you're thinking you want your people to be doing what you pay them to do rather than doing the administrative tasks. You, you And you also want your business to grow. You want to be able to take on more work because you're running more efficiently. Those are the sort of things that I think they relate to why I think we should be using technology. So it's it's not necessarily an age thing because a lot of people want to do meaningful work. It, so if you want to do more meaningful work, tech is one way that you can make that happen more I mean what's your thoughts on that (laughs) yeah I mean it's a it's a tool Mm -hmm. that's that's all you know you talk about you know sort of garbage in garbage out it's the Mm -hmm. it's it's how you you use it but I mean often I find you know on my side when I see sort of residential surveyors they don't understand their processes why they do what they do the fact mm. that why they why they've been doing it that way for thirty odd years, um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just just the way. And so when then they go to move then over to any kind of tech, 
it all starts to fall down because they don't understand, you know, mm. the, the audit trail, the reasons why they, as I said, they they do what they do in the first place. And you're right, it's not it's not an age thing because you mm. have people at different stages of their career doing doing different things. But I do wonder, as someone who sort of more recently than me been in in university. Did, did you find they sort of talked about technology and how that was used in in university and then you come into you know the, the construction landscape and no one's using it or is it sort of not quite how you how you expect it because I get a sense of that sometimes on the you know on the on the residential side yeah I think that would definitely be my personal experience so I'll give you a story as an example um when I was at university we had a course well we had several courses that were about technology but one of them was about design we built our own Revit models like 3D models of a building we as in a quantity surveyors project managers like it was multiple disciplines so uh, we built those 3D models. We understood how they worked. And the, the story was in future, we should be able to take off items from it. So, you know, quantify how many, I don't know, air handling units or the amount of wall, ceiling, whatever you've got, carpet. So that should be something that in the future we should be able to automate. So then fast forward to starting work and you're sort of really excited, this fresh face graduate, and you're saying, oh, can I get a 3D model of like this building? Because I know that the architects have a 3D model so I can use it to do a takeoff and it will be, you know, automated and all this stuff that I've learned. And then you're getting given PDF drawings in 2D, two dimension, and you've got to do the takeoff by clicking and clicking and it's not actually automated. And for me, that was just like, huh, like we've learned all this stuff at uni of where the future could be, but we're not there yet. And so, yeah, I worked in industry for six years and to, yeah, even till now, I've never had the experience of being given a 3D model to then use for measuring. And I know there's a whole bunch of work that needs to be done, but that's just a simple example of, mm. you know, about six years ago when I was at university, we were learning about that, but we're not actually doing it in industry. So I think there can be a bit of a frustration there of we know what's possible, but I think um, we're perhaps holding on to the way that we've always done things instead of moving ourselves into the future. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the key things people always say is, you know, these young people need to know how to use a scale ruler. We learned that as well. So I know that if push comes to shove, I can do a measurement using a, a drawing with a scale ruler and, you know, dim paper. I can do that. But that's just to understand the principle, because if you think the amount of time we will save by using, you know, the computer versions, but being able to verify our work in a different way, then that's where the future needs to be. So I think when you have grown up with tech, you know, when you've got apps for different things, songs and podcasts, et cetera, it doesn't really make sense to be going into work and um, doing things as if you're still back in like the 90s. So that would be my personal take. <laughs> what, what do you think we need to do to bridge that gap? Because because there's there's nothing wrong with doing it with a ruler and there's nothing wrong with doing it with a you know on a three D model measuring things you know but how do we how do we bridge that gap because if if we don't have that you know turn of tide it isn't going to get any any better and, and people like you and others you know are going to find different sectors to work in you know because you've got very valuable skills and a lot of them are very transferable what do you think we need to do to bridge that 
that gap? I think at the moment the tide is, might turn because of the business case there is for using technology, because obviously some of those people are key decision makers that would, you know, make that purchasing decision to invest in software. So I think that might ch change the tide and also as leadership sort of demographics change a little bit because obviously people like myself, maybe in five, 10 years time might be the people that are, you know, the ones that are making those mm. purchasing decisions of this is the strategy of our company and this is the software we want to use to enable those strategic moves. Because um, I think you can, I, I've seen that construction companies, for example, more and more are starting to have sort of technology business technology officers kind of as a specialist role to look at how is that consultancy or main contractor organization going to leverage technology. So there is the business aspect of it, but I think also enabling young people to have their voice heard, the young people that are into tech, that, you know, they can bring these ideas and they can, those ideas are embraced because yeah, you could either go into a company and they'll tell you, oh, that 3D you know that 3d model stuff is a, a load of rubbish or they could be like oh like tell us a bit more and we're going to give you like a bit of a project and assignment to look into it and bring it back to the business and tell us how we can leverage it yeah so i think those are some of the ways but i suppose we always have to be mindful about the business side of it and the economic sense that it would make to convince the the people who who hold the purse strings yeah <laughs> yeah you're right ultimately it all comes down to to money but if the business case is there then mm -hmm. there is there is a way and it was interesting there you're right it's diversity of having the right people you know around the table and that cognitive diversity of younger people with experience of tech you know more mature experience surveyors with use of doing things the old ways to come around together and to work out well, what's the best thing for the company or what's the best thing to to do now it reminds me, actually, many uh, years ago, I was involved in rolling out the very first tablet technology for residential surveyors. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was involved because I could work a coloured computer screen, Alice, which was <laughs> very, very old. Yeah. Um, and we had the, these tablets, which were, you know, weighed a ton. Um, and I would go out with surveyors and show them how to use them mm -hmm. and sort of do like a mini, mini audit. And it made me feel great as a surveyor because I mm -hmm. realised how much I, I knew. But I noticed that there was a fear of technology. Mm -hmm. And if you think people have never used, you know, this kind of stuff in their work environment and the risks that go along with it, because you're concentrating on the tool and not necessarily the job at hand, which puts you at mm -hmm. risk of claims and, and mistakes and things going wrong. So, it, you know, it, for me, it sort of highlighted the the fear that we each of us have of learning something new at, at different stages. But also, I think, that we need to have a bit of respect for each other. So yes, respect for those who've been doing it for years, but also respect for people with this newer technology or the the new thinking. You know, as they've they've come out of uni with all of these you know different experiences, and finding a way that to recognise that we are all consistent, yet yeah, that we are all different. Mm -hmm. You know, and that that if we recognise that people are consistently different and will use technology differently and we design it in that way, then we're not given like a, a blanket, this is how it's done, you know, mm. and we exclude certain people or the older guys leave or, you know, and it's just, it's a way of a, 
finding a way of approaching it, knowing that everybody is different so that they can mm. do their jobs to the best of their their ability, which is a whole just recognizing that we're people, not computers, you know? Yeah. At the end of the and, day. And, yeah. And I think you touch on an important point because there's all sorts of tools out there, but um, there's also the aspect you mentioned about managing change. So everyone can be on the same boat, irrespective of their experience with technology to have that fear. So leaders of organizations are the ones that will be tasked with managing the change well so that people feel enabled to adopt whatever that solution is going to be because if you don't have that step then people will be skeptical and people will be scared and um, that respect will come the respect you were talking about of everyone has different skill sets and, and experience with technology but if they feel heard that you've not just, you know, come and said, everyone's going to use this software. I think that's where sometimes the problems can come in, that people would embrace technology, but they've just not been given the time to be able to think and be taught, walked through the change. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing with technology, you know, so much of it is, you know, it's intuitive and it's easy to use to get you started. You know, I mean, most people have never had any training on Microsoft Word or Excel, but you can do enough to get by or you can go onto Google or YouTube and find out how to do some of it. So you can get part the way there. But Mm. it's just those anyone who's tried to format a Word document or try to come up with a particular (laughs) formula, it can drive you absolutely nuts. But if you but you can find out that 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 information. But but yeah, Mm. can I ask you just. Carrying on from the, on that sort of diversity front, because I know you've done, and I think I've seen some brilliant things that you've done on um, initiatives you've done on LinkedIn in terms of diversity with black women in quantity surveying. I listened to some podcasts that you shared recently with reverse mentoring. So tell me a bit about the different types of things you've been doing there, because I, th- I think it's great. Yeah, so there's a few different things that I've been involved in, but the key one is... Um, A few, about two years ago, I started a WhatsApp chat for Black women in quantity surveying. So the purpose of that was just to bring people together and um, help them to exchange knowledge and tips and just encouragement about being an industry. Um, It was just off the back of that whole idea of not really always being able to see the role models of people that might have a relatable background. So yeah, that's one of the initiatives that I've had. And as part of that, um, we created a booklet um, that was showcasing 21 different women who are quantity surveyors at different levels. It's just so you can give that visibility of those profiles so that if somebody was thinking about quantity surveying, they would kind of have that booklet as a point of reference because from my perspective anyway I thought quantity surveying was such a hidden gem of a career path to follow because like I said before you know if you become chartered um, you you would be able to go and work in other parts of the world and it's a very rewarding career with a lot of variety and um, you get to work on different sort of things so it was just really to bring that awareness both of the career option and also of other people that have gone ahead of you because there's not many people who are sort of by the time you get to senior quantity surveyor associate director etc there's not very many people that might look like you in those positions and that's not to say you're not going to speak to other people because I've had mentors that don't look like me and I've had lots of encouragement from them but it's just to have that 
thing of if somebody has a story, for example, if you're someone who's got immigrant parents, not everyone can relate to that narrative. So you might want to find somebody who can relate to that particular aspect of your career and professional development. And then some other initiatives, like you've mentioned, um, I participated in a reverse mentoring uh, podcast with uh, ladies in real estate. Um, So that was really great. And um, a few others also participated. So yeah, just generally, I I like to keep busy in that space. For me, the the thing I always have on on my heart is um, encouraging other people to be the best that they can be, to sort of cheerlead to be a cheerleader to other people because you don't always get that. So yeah, that that's what kind of motivates me with that. And hopefully those initiatives have helped other people to find their feet a bit. I, I thought the initiatives were were great. And I love the fact that you just went and did it off your own back, you know, and just <laughs> go out there and do this stuff. And because we don't have to wait for anybody to tell us to give us uh, you know permission to do these things and mm-hmm. when I did you know this sort of virtual the women in surveying virtual summit six years ago I think it was now you know I just went and did it and there was a lot of pushback of you know who does you think she is and is it right to talk okay. about women and all of that malarkey and we still have like some of that now but if you don't show that you're deserving of it you know and visible then what what does that message does that send to somebody else what was what motivated you to do it though was it something that you've just always been aware of and you've always been like that you know sort of through your career and at university or was there a a trigger that motivated you to do it? For me I've always been someone who always thinks of life in the sense of community so what triggered me was you know people would usually say those phrases like it's lonely at the top or you want to go together with other people and not be on your own so for me, I thought, well, if you're gonna, you're already sort of a woman in construction, you're a black woman in construction, you're already got quite a small pool of people that can relate to that. And so it's building that community of people you can you, you can be able to speak to and have a community that you build around yourself as a support system. So, and also be able to offer that to other people because now. I'm where I am in industry, I'm a bit further on. And for people that are coming into industry, they can get that support. And specifically why I did it as a self-led initiative, if you want to call it that, rather than having corporate affiliations, was I think it can be challenging sometimes if you if you need to do something as a corporate initiative that obviously there's pros and cons of you get corporate backing, you would have maybe access to certain resources. But from my perspective, having the freedom to shape the initiative the way you want it to go and um, not have those sort of ties that would dictate how you're going to run an initiative is what appealed to me to do it the way that we've done. And it's not to say that it would be like that forever, but I think for me, it does appeal to sort of have it that it's not necessarily got that affiliation, but always for people who have, you know, supported us and said, can we reshare and whatever, there's there's no issue with that. But I think from my perspective, where I was at when I started it, it it really helps to keep it sort of very neutral, if I can put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think and I think it goes to show just what can be done these days without a huge budget you know with a bit of 
bit of initiative and you know the, mm-hmm. the whole sort of women in surveying stuff that I do like you it's it, you know it's, it's independent it's not sponsored you know there are different ways that people can support and it's it yeah. just it's just grown because of um enthusiasm you yeah. know and people just sort of want to want to want to get on board you know and yeah. but it just goes to show just the the power of of just having the right the right message and, and targeting it at the right people yeah. and the difference the difference that that can make and can i add something to it like it depends on who's listening to this i think when these sort of um initiatives happen the way they do it's actually a challenge to corporations that if we can do this without very much budget then you should be able to do far far more than we can because you've got access to marketing consultants you've got PR companies whatever you do have so I think it's a challenge to those organizations to say you know look at Marion doing this just off her own back so you could have a team of 10 people doing this all year round so it's just a challenge to put out there that yeah <laughs> I, t- I, t- I totally agree I totally agree and it just goes to show if you if you if something is a matters to you and if it's a priority then there are ways that you can make it happen and mm-hmm. therefore there is no excuse whatsoever for any corporate or professional organization or membership body anything out there that they cannot make a difference they just mm-hmm. need to pull their finger out and get on and do it one right. of the things that i found is that the more you become visible and become sort of a bit of a, a role model is there's an expectation you know <laughs> and people will people and businesses will come to me to ask for advice or comment or input and they don't want to pay for my time <laughs> you know I you know uh, there, there's an expectation that you know I'll refer it to Marion and she'll know what to do about all the women you know like like I'm the only woman surveyor out there for example but and, and also there's a pressure of you know what's next and how do you keep things going and how do you keep that that momentum building um, how have you found that the more that your visibility has uh, has increased I think for anyone who finds themselves in that place, they have to be able to have um, solid boundaries as to how they're going to conduct themselves and what they say yes to and what they say no to. And my principle is always you want to say a big fat yes to the things that really matter to you and align with your vision and values. And you can say no to things that don't align with that vision uh, or your values, or you can even one one tactic I've used is trying to have evergreen material I call it um, I learned this term off of um, a former colleague and it was that just this idea that you can actually have something that you can give to somebody if they ask you a question uh, as opposed to you having to create a personalized answer for that person so coming back to the booklet for black women in QS again then that is a evergreen piece of material that if somebody asks you well tell me more about what you do in your job or whatever you can just say here's a link to the booklet, go have a read and, you know, you probably find the answers for what you're looking for in there. So that's one way that I I, I look to manage that aspect of it because you, you can't answer everyone, you know, people will ask you things on LinkedIn and whatever, and you won't be able to always speak to everyone, but that's one way. And I think the other aspect as well is understanding sort of why people might want to pick your brain on something Uh, and you're right when you said you know if you think about it in a business sense 
picking somebody's brain as consulting, right? And that's, <laughs> maybe I've got my QS hat on, but you send an invoice yeah. for that. So it's also understanding, you know, if somebody's coming from a genuine place and it's it's something that can have a mutual exchange or if, you know, it's very one way. And I think that's some of the ways that I look at it, but it is something to be mindful of, especially for people that find themselves in those minority groups that are representing a a wider group of people, or at least they feel like they're representing, then it can feel quite heavy sometimes. Um, But with the right boundaries, there's nothing wrong with saying no. And um, I've said no to things like, you know, even in Black History Month, I've said no, that doesn't align with my values to some things and I didn't do it. And I don't feel bad for it because saying no to that allowed me to say yes to something that I really wanted to do. So I think we need to just say no more, but we say yes to the right things and give it the best effort. So for me, if I say yes to something, I'm going to give it, you know, the excellence it deserves. So it's not about just dishing out no's and being inaccessible. It's about saying an emphatic yes and being committed to that yes and following through and doing a great job of it. So that's how I try to do things. I think that's really good advice. There you go. (laughs) It's, you know, and the more that we, but you've got to start with understanding what your values are. Yes. And what's important important to you. And, you know, doing, and I see this with lots of surveyors, you know, that I work with is, is doing the personal development Mm -hmm. and understanding why you do what you do, what's important to you, what's going to motivate you to go and make the change or to, to do whatever it is your values couple them with boundaries and it's hard you know there's so many things that I would love to go and just sort out and I know I could (laughs) and I know I could but there are times when I think well actually no I should be paid to do this you know I was recently contacted to ask if I would do a volunteer role for a or to apply for a volunteer role for a, a membership and it's 30 days at least and there's like no pay and I work for, you know, I work for myself, you know, mm-hmm. a small business and I, you know, work part time and juggle the kids and all of those things. And the thing is, so there's no way practically that I could do that. And I know I could do a good job at it. But there, but what you then do is, you know, if you don't look at those vacancies and start to change things, that's when you you're just missing out on opportunities for good people to be able to contribute in you know in in different ways but also there are lots of people I mean I was chatting to people um I was chatting to some people about the same role and all four of them had been approached so I didn't feel so special (laughs) after that (laughs) but none of us none of us could do it purely because of the 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 commitment and the not being paid yeah you you raise yeah you raise another good point actually so I think everyone who find themselves finds themselves in the place that you are should have a list of people I would recommend that, you know, somebody offers you something, you say, I can't do this, but there's this person and it can be anything, right? I'm sure it could be dinners that you might get invited to. It could be all sorts of things. And instead of saying that, no, it could be making an opportunity for someone else. And I've tried to do that where I can. And, 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 you know, you can ask the question, right? (laughs) And exactly. And that's exactly what, what I do is you know have you thought about somebody else but what but what then happens is people get lazy and they still come to you to say have you got somebody it's like <laughs> can, can you can you not create your your own list and that's where things like you know so within women in surveying we've got this directory 
which is just a list of women surveyors. But it just goes to show that you can create a list. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just it just I just just need to go out there and and uh, and do this stuff. And what I find sort of quite quite refreshing with the initiatives and the kind of work that that you've been doing is what motivated me was actually just being really annoyed at some situations. Mm-hmm. But whereas what's motivating you is it's just the way that these things should be done. And, you know, the whole community spirit of it and changing the world for the way that way that it should be. And and I think female surveyors, I mean, all surveyors, but I see it particularly with, with female surveyors, is we've got to consistently recognise that we have all had different experiences Mm-hmm. you know right right the way through there's not you know I start talking to women and you can guarantee that there'll be somebody there who went back to work four days after having a baby you know or somebody didn't get maternity leave or you know whereas now there are places that offer you know a year's maternity leave or really great benefits not everywhere but you know and the things are changing and we, but we've got to constantly look at what happened you know where we got to is it any better but recognise that the change is coming as well, but just keep that that dialogue going all the time so that we all feel, feel included. And it comes back to knowing that everybody, you know, when we talk about being a diverse profession, mm-hmm. but which means we're all different and therefore one size doesn't fit all. You've got to be having that conversation and, and learning all the time, haven't we? Yeah, and I think if I was to sort of shout you out with um, what you did with the Women in Surveying Summit, I remember I was watching it, was it? pre-COVID or I, I don't know I just discovered yeah, it yeah, on yeah. the internet yeah, yeah. and what I liked about that is like you say everyone has such different experiences and storytelling is such a powerful way of of getting to know those stories which is like what you've been doing in the podcast you get you know surveyors that have been doing it for 50 years and you get people that started in one industry came into surveying and it's when you make time to hear those stories you can appreciate that there's always nuance in in how life in professional life works and you can't take it as a given that this person is going to have the same view as you or but you can always try and find a common something you can hold on to to having in common which for this podcast is irrespective of what your background is you're a surveyor and if you're a quantity surveyor maybe you'll nerd out together on bills of quantities or something so it's something that you would have in common so focusing on those similar things that hold you together like the glue I suppose is is something that will help people to to not necessarily overcome the differences but to have an appreciation of why they are in the same space together yeah it's a bit like everyone always says you know how do you describe a surveyor or what does a surveyor look like we're all different and it's always sort of seen as a as a negative whereas I think our strength is in our diversity and if we approached it as a as a strength and that we're all different and we all bring something to the table, it'd be a heck of a lot easier, you know, to 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 approach going forward. One question that um, I want to ask you about visibility. So mm-hmm. as you've got involved in these different initiatives, you become more visible. How how do you feel about that? Has it been something that's easy to do or not? It's not always been easy because not everyone shares the same view about what it means to be visible, especially when you talk about it in terms of being visible through stuff like social media, of LinkedIn, etc. So 
you get different camps of people. Some people are sort of like, you know, keep your head down, you know, what's all that LinkedIn stuff about? And then you get people that are really supportive. But for me, keeping a picture of the of the big vision that I have for my career and um, how I want to sort of thinking of, I always think of when I retire one day, what would my legacy be as to what I did and how did I contribute? So even though it can feel painful sometimes, it's like, if it if it's feeding into my overall vision of how I'm going to help other people, then, you know, this is like a sort of short-term, short-term pain for long-term gain, if that makes sense. But equally, I think that people who do find themselves that visible need to once again, set those boundaries to have, you know, an inner circle of people they can go to, to speak to, because obviously if you're very visible, you have to be mindful of who you're going to say things to and all that sort of stuff. But you need those cheerleaders. And I've got cheerleaders in my life who, you know, when I make those posts on LinkedIn, they're like, you know, sending me a message to say this, that and the other. But there are people out there who are probably not very happy. And I suppose you just have to stick to the bigger picture. Otherwise, if you took the words of the people that are not very happy with the visibility you have, then you're you're not going to be able to use your voice to what to to make the change that needs to happen. Yeah, I think it's a hard question, to be honest. Um. <laughs> You're right. And and we are, as surveyors and in society, we're so judgmental sometimes of, you know, um, are we showing off? Is she showing off by having a podcast with a picture on it? You know, is she showing off by doing all of this stuff? Who does she think she is to, and I say she, because that's where I see a lot of um a lot of pushback just in in my experience but it comes back to those values being really grounded belief in you're doing doing the the right thing to uh, to push through and you know you know I work for myself so it's so I can't tell you how liberating that is scary as well but liberating to say what I want to say but when you work for a when you work for a company and a lot of people work for a corporate you know, they don't feel they can post or say anything on LinkedIn for fear of saying the wrong thing. I see that in my Surveyor Hub community where a lot of people post anonymously because mm-hmm. they don't want their, their bosses and whatnot to, to see. And you can't comment anonymously, unfortunately, you know, but you do get lots of comments. And and, and I think I remember you actually um, a, little, a couple of years ago sent me think it was you anyway who sent me did you apply for an award did you win an award yeah a few yeah 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 Um, yeah and and I think you you'd put something in about I can't remember if I was a role model or somebody who'd inspired you and mm -hmm. you sent me this this little note and I just thought oh god thank you so much for telling me (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know just those when you get those little thank you for putting yourself out there it just Mm -hmm. makes such a difference yeah yeah yeah. And when you get those sort of messages, it, it reminds you why you're doing what you're doing. And even if, yeah, like it kind of lights up your day. And, and, and yeah, when I've had those, I'm like, yeah, I'm on I'm on to the right path of what what I wanted to achieve, um, even if other people might not be on the same train. <laughs> yeah. So what's coming up for you for you next then? So you've you've got this new role. It's all about the, the technology, maybe a bit of travel at some point. What What's in the future for your, you and your career? Um, I think for me, just um, settling into this role and understanding the landscape of um, what how companies are using technology. So specifically, like I mentioned before, my role is to 
it's got two angles to it. There's an external side, which is helping clients to understand their current processes and how they can use Procore to better manage your project finances. But there's also an internal piece, which is some of my colleagues, a lot of them have never worked in the construction industry. So it's also educating them about how construction works. So there's a group of us within the business that have worked in construction, people that are project managers and they worked in all sorts of different organizations. But if you think about people that have the technical know-how of building software, many of them wouldn't have necessarily started off as like a brickie or a joiner. So you're trying to educate them about what the clients need because the clients will say, oh, like, have you thought of this? And have you thought of that? And then where the global role comes into play, um, where you're working with different global regions is different people do construction different countries do construction very differently. A really funny example is even the things people call, what what people call things like a punch list is a snagging list. Now, if you saw somebody, can you get me that punch list? It sounds really interesting. I love that. (laughs) So it's those sort of things. And then you you start to realize that construction is very diverse in, in the sense of People are doing construction all over the world, but they call it different things. They've got different contractual mechanisms. They've got different ways of doing payments. And so for me, it just feels like a box of endless possibilities because you're going to be dealing with customers that have so many different needs and then helping them to get to where they need to be. And so I think there's a lot of growth in the future. I don't really know in which direction, but it's just evolve it's going to evolve somehow but I'm all I can say is I'm super excited for what the future has to hold yeah (laughs) love it oh Alice it's been lovely to talk to you today thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast yeah thank you so much for having me and it's been a great conversation and keep up the great work with the podcast thanks for listening if you're new to the podcast do check out some of our past recordings And when you're ready, leave a review on Google or Apple iTunes, or you can buy me a coffee. All the links are in the show notes. And if you want to find out more about how working with me can support your surveying business journey, just drop me a message or take a look at the resources for surveyors and small businesses at lovesurveying.com. I'll see you next time.